two in Labro. Holiday edition. Thanksgiving leftovers is what we're going to be calling this episode. Not really uh, part of the episode series, but hey, it's a holiday. We've all been uh, having, hopefully having fun with loved ones and eating well. And if you haven't, well, that's kind of what this uh, this podcast is about today. There are plenty of people who have probably been separated by this dastardly virus that we've been experiencing. And you're not alone out there. So hang on and enjoy this episode, special episode of In Labro, Thanksgiving Leftovers. Thanksgiving is, without a doubt, uh, my favorite holiday. Um, there's not much not to like about it, to be honest with you. You don't have to buy anybody gifts. No one has to go and buy gifts for you. You just get together with family, friends, loved ones, people that you care about. Eat good food. Lots of it. Great desserts. Great conversation. Watch football watch movies, play cards, whatever it is you want to do on this holiday is pretty much uh, up to you. Great day to just be thankful and relax with people you love. I have always loved the holiday of Thanksgiving. As I have wandered through the wilderness seeking buried treasure, it becomes easier and more obvious, uh, though, to tell the difference between fool's gold and genuine treasure. And for me, Thanksgiving Day is a true find, a eureka discovery, a buried chest full of precious and valuable things. Now, I know I didn't discover Thanksgiving Day. I'm not trying to take credit for it. It's been a fixture in our country and our lives for a very long time. It's written on the calendar. It's fixed in our hearts and minds. It's the day we get together with family and friends to celebrate and remember how blessed and how fortunate we are to live under the banner of freedom and liberty. A day to set aside our trials and difficulties and face the reality that while we may struggle and stumble and fall sometimes, we live in a place that makes it possible to get back up, to rise above, and to flourish. Thanksgiving is the antidote for many of our most pernicious negative attitudes, resentment, jealousy, bitterness, coveting something our neighbor has, and internal strife. They can all be brought into submission to thanksgiving if we're willing to do the hard work of pushing through the fog and the confusion and into the light of gratitude. Thanksgiving, giving thanks. It's actually something that's good for us. It's good for our mental health. It's good for our emotional well-being. It's good for our physical health and stress levels. It has the potential to create marvelous opportunities for inward generosity and love. It's a powerful elixir for the soul. 
This year has brought its own unique brand of hardship, something no one could have predicted and that no one could have planned or prepared for. An itsy-bitsy teeny-weeny invader known as the coronavirus has made its crowning presence known on a global scale. It has changed the very fabric of social order, social decorum, and social organization. Its unseen presence lurks over just about everything that we're doing right now. Just when we think we're back to some semblance of normal, it rears its ugly head and says, not so fast. COVID-19 slapped me pretty hard this week when my wife called on Tuesday to tell me that our daughter and husband and her husband would not be coming for Thanksgiving because she had been exposed to someone who tested positive. As I drove home from work, I couldn't believe the level of disappointment that had hit me. It was really overwhelming. Stupid damn virus, I was thinking. Stupid idiotic rules. Who does the CDC think they are? Really? Is this craziness? Is this insanity or what? My favorite holiday, a holiday that literally I do wait for every single year, was going to be less than what I had expected. For me, it was a hard blow to my ability to be thankful, to have gratitude in my heart. And as I sat and stewed in my disappointment, I realized how ruinous disappointment is to the human psyche and soul. Disappointment is the interstate highway to bitterness, despair, and resentment. It goes something like this. Expectations often lead to unmet expectations, then bitterness, then despair, and finally, deep, deep resentment. And it's surprising how little time it takes to go from expectation to resentment. It's amazing how it can knock us off course and into a destructive spiral of dysfunction and funk. It happens so quickly and so suddenly, in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, like a thief in the night, your mindset and attitude can go from sweet to bitter, happy to sad, grateful to resentful. Just when you think you've mastered the ugliness of the old self-absorbed nature, something happens that doesn't fit the plan or the script that you've come up with, and wham, you're hit with the reality of how deep and powerful this self-centered curse is. The I, the me, the my, current supercharges, our psyche, and screams from somewhere deep down, I want my way. You know, a long time ago, a friend told me this about the old nature. It's not how it acts, it's how it reacts. Boy, isn't that true? My reactions to things tell me way more about what's really going on inside of me than the outward facade that I create to protect myself and others. My reaction, my initial response, my, my gut instinct when I first hear the bad news or, the unmet, or, or meet the unmet expectation tells a lot about what's going on deep down in my soul, whether I want to admit it or not. How quickly we bring our reactions into line with the life-giving, life-altering love of Christ is the issue, and it requires us to do the spiritual workout of our own salvation, which is where I was for most of Tuesday evening and Wednesday morning. I was working my way out of a deep, stinky funk that had killed, stolen, and destroyed my joy. 
and it would have been really, really, really easy to stay there. Way too easy. I mean, I was using some major mental bandwidth and dedicating some major emotional capital to feeling victimized and betrayed. It was impressive, really, by any measure. It's amazing how quickly your mind can go from zero to 60 on the lonesome loser superhighway. A small disappointment can quickly escalate into a convincing conspiracy of global proportions. The world is literally out to get me. I was incredibly uncomfortable and uneasy with what I was feeling and who I was feeling it towards. I was feeling it towards my daughter who I would literally take a kill shot to the head and the heart at the same time for this, for this girl, for this woman. She was becoming the object of my ire and my disappointment. I just couldn't believe that she would choose to do the responsible adult thing rather than throw caution to the wind and make me happy. I mean, who does she think she is anyway? A little brat? Yeah, that's the wretchedness of the old nature. That's what it looks like and sounds like. At least it does inside my head. Now, none of that reflects how I truly feel about her. I mean, seriously, anyone who knows me knows she is the apple of my eye, literally. But in the moment of reaction, all of it sure feels true. Which is why I come back around and realize that the most significant and most needed treasure in my life is once again the cross that I've been offered and invited to carry each and every day. My need for transformation is not complete. The cross hasn't done its complete work in me. It's a daily encounter. It's a daily struggle. My need for this mind-bending and shaping image of crucifixion is more than just an inspirational idea or a piece of jewelry that someone wears around their neck. It's critical to my very survival if I want to become a person of embracing and sacrificial love. If that's really my goal, if that's really who I want to be, to reflect the love of and grace of Christ in my own life to others, then you better believe I need to carry this cross around with me every single moment I live and breathe. For a few moments early on Wednesday morning, I offered myself to the process that I've been advocating for these last eight episodes of Enlabro, the process of offering my mind and my mindset to the difficult, deliberate, and often painful work of the cross of Christ that we must willfully and intentionally carry each day. This cross is much more than a religious icon or a no-money-down, easy payment plan for sin and wretchedness. It is the way that we adopt and integrate the very nature of Christ into our life. And it's ultimately how we break through to true and lasting gratitude and true and lasting thanksgiving. The cross doesn't stoically ignore our feelings and pretend that they aren't valid or important. Everything, let me say that again, everything that you and I feel is important because it gives us the opportunity to see, hear, and experience it through the divine lens of sanctifying and instructional grace. Our feelings, thoughts, and experiences become the very platforms on which we offer ourselves, the altars on which we offer ourselves to the way, the truth, and the life that God is attempting to orchestrate in us and through us for truly glorious 
and amazing possibilities. It's why scripture tells us to take every thought captive. Why? Well, listen to that entire verse, 2 Corinthians 10:5. We are destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God. And we are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Because I don't know about you, there are patterns of thought and speculation that I carry around with me in my head that can't be reasoned with and cannot be controlled. They need to be torn down and destroyed through the sacrifice of a crucifying, humiliating death. And then made new through the potential of restorative resurrection. Taking every thought captive and aligning our thoughts to the obedience of Christ means we are aligning it with the capacity to love and love sacrificially. For me, this process happened rather quickly because, honestly, the more you practice it and allow it to access your heart, mind, and soul, the easier it gets and the more quickly you run to embrace your cross. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am meek and lowly of heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. This process allowed me to finally sit down and write this to my daughter, who conveniently had kind of been ignoring me because I think she sensed just how disappointed her father was. But this is what I wrote to her on Wednesday morning. Current situation, sitting stewing in my disappointment over the Thanksgiving COVID-19 situation. To say I'm not horribly disappointed would be a lie, I am. But I also know you guys are making the tough and responsible choice. So I'm also deeply proud of you as well. To have these seemingly contrary emotions at work inside of me is a bit too much and overwhelming. But I can't just stay silent and leave you wondering about how I feel towards both of you. I hate the sucky, shitty situation, but love both of you and can't wait for this madness to pass and normalcy to return. So much love and respect. It's now Thursday afternoon. We've eaten our Thanksgiving feast. We've cleaned up, dishes washed, leftovers put away for another meal later, maybe tomorrow. The sun has gone down and on, on another great and fun Thanksgiving, and I'm now sincerely grateful to be sharing this story with you. This isn't religious. It's not pretty. It's not neat, and it's definitely not sanitized, but I promise you it is real. The beautiful picture of a disappointed but restored heart that is ready to love and embrace again. Happy Thanksgiving to you all. I love you. I love you all.